First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Acts chapter 13. Last week we kicked off this teaching series. We saw how God called this local church in the city of Antioch to send away two of their five main leaders, Paul and Barnabas, basically to go on a missionary journey to take the message of Jesus to faraway places, to people who had never heard it. Uh, Last week, we looked at the first leg of their mission trip, and today we're going to pick up the story where we left off. Uh, But here is the thing. Even though this mission trip happened in A.D. 46 and 47, almost 2,000 years ago, uh, it still has everything to do with our lives today. Because like the title of this series says, it wasn't just Paul and Barnabas that had a mission. Uh, We have a mission as well. God is calling us in this place, those listening right now, watching right now, uh, in Melbourne, Florida, in this city, in the year 2021, even this very week, he's called us to a life on mission. And there's a lot that we can learn about our mission by looking at their mission. So let's pick up the story again where we left off, verse 13 of Acts 13. The Word of God says this, Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, They came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up. And motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with an uplifted arm he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. And after that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. When he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. Though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. 
And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, and that he has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption. He spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another Psalm, You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Verse 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. Father, we thank you today for this, your word. We thank you that you have given us, even this very week, a mission to live out in this place. Father, we pray that you'd speak to us now through your word, that we might live our lives for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know that uh, most of our copies of the Bible end with a few maps at the back, and uh, we're going to start this message with a map, and uh, hopefully will just help us get our bearings a little bit on, on where we are, where we're going. Uh, I said a couple of minutes ago that the church at Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas out, and John Mark as well, uh, on this missionary journey. As you can see on the map, first they sailed over to that island of Cyprus there in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. We looked last week at how God moved on that island, how the governor of that island came to faith in Christ. Well, then they got back on the boat and they sailed 200 miles to the north uh, to Perga there on the coast of modern-day Turkey. And they didn't stay there for long, though. They took another 100-mile journey by foot, an arduous journey across mountainous terrain up to that city that's called Pisidian Antioch. Now, now that's uh, somewhat confusing. You see, they left a city that was named Antioch, and today they're going to be ministering in a city named Antioch. But as you can see on the map, it's a different Antioch. There was about 15 Antiochs around the world at that time, all named after the same person. Uh, but they ministered in this city, Antioch of Pisidia. God did amazing things, as we will see. But you know, the names of all of these cities are probably not the most important thing for us to know today, unless you're getting ready for Bible Jeopardy or something like that. Uh, I think the most important thing for us to know today is, again, God has called us this very week to live on mission for him, just like he called Paul and Barnabas to do 2,000 years ago. And so as we walk through this story today, there's some lessons I believe we need to remember if we're going to live our lives on mission. Here's the first lesson we need to follow away from this story. Some Christians... Some Christians are less committed than others to the mission of God. If you look with me again at the very first verse uh, that we read, you'll see an example of that in verse 13 of chapter 13. Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Basically, as soon as they got off the boat from the island of Cyprus, John, who we also know as John Mark, or just Mark, who is Barnabas' cousin, 
decided that he had had enough, and he tapped out and dips out and goes back to Jerusalem where he was from. We don't know what reason or rationale John Mark gave for leaving, but whatever it was, we do know that the Apostle Paul thought it was weak sauce. He did not accept John Mark's reason at all. And we know that because if you fast forward a couple of chapters to Acts chapter 15, now they're finished with this first missionary journey. They're getting ready to go out on another missionary journey. And here's the exchange that happens between Barnabas and Paul. Look at this. Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take him, take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So here is Barnabas, always the encourager. He wants to give John Mark a second chance, but the Apostle Paul will have none of that. He said, this guy is a quitter. Uh, He bailed on us the last time, and I'm not going to repeat the same mistake and take him again. And we'll talk more about this when we come to Acts chapter 15 in our study. But this uh, disagreement between Barnabas and the Apostle Paul became so sharp that they ended up actually separating. And two mission teams went out uh, instead of one. Uh, Even that is not the end of the story of this man named John Mark. Because if you go to the very end of Paul's life, the last letter that he wrote, 2 Timothy, Before he dies, Paul asked for John Mark to come to him again because he said, he is useful to me in the ministry. Even Paul eventually changed his mind about Mark. But you know, all of that is not in our text today. John Mark's whole story is not in our text today. All that's in this text is one line about one moment in his life, which admittedly is not his finest moment. A moment in his life where he wasn't super committed to the mission that God had for him. And and what is the application in that for us? Well, I, I don't know if you have noticed, but not every Christian is equally committed to the cause of Christ. There are some who are more faithful than others. And everyone is at a different place in their spiritual growth. There are some who claim the name of Christ, very well may be uh, followers of Christ, and yet at this point in their spiritual journey, sharing the gospel with people who don't know Christ, going on mission, giving to mission, for, for some that is really not on their radar. There are others who maybe are interested in going on a mission trip, maybe even sign up to go on a mission trip, and yet really it's kind of for missionary tourism, right? It it sounds like it would be fun. Maybe that's why John Mark wanted to go to Cyprus. It sounds like a neat place to visit. But then then he got off the boat here, and he looked at the mountains, and he said, yep, I'm out. Maybe he got homesick. That can happen to us even today if we're not there for the right reasons. And so what do we do? I I think the temptation for you, if you are someone who is committed to the cause of Christ and to sharing the gospel with other people, the temptation is to possibly look around at people, maybe in your own small group or in your own church, and see people who aren't as committed as you are, and to become very negative about that, very embittered about that, and to start to have the attitude, you know, well, why should I keep going out and sharing the gospel if nobody else is? If nobody else is living for Christ, if nobody else cares as much as I do, then why should I keep at it? But friend, we cannot let our hearts go there. 
If Paul and Barnabas had thrown in the towel the second that John Mark did, nothing else that we read about in this passage would have happened. They kept on going even when John Mark left because they were going because God had called them to go. You know, we sing that song, though none go with me, I still will follow. And there are times when we have to keep going even if we have to go alone. The other trap, of course, we can fall into, it almost goes without saying, is the trap of spiritual pride. To look around at those that you consider to be less committed to the cause of Christ than you are and to say, you know, what are these slackers doing, right? I've already invited 18 people to City Fest, right? They have not invited anybody. Why, why are they not as committed as I am? And friend, we can't let our hearts go there either because you know what? If you are sold out for Christ right now, if you are sold out for the mission of Christ, then praise God. And that's his grace in your heart, and your life. And you know as well as I do that you probably weren't always there. There was a time in your life where you weren't as committed as perhaps you are now. And so give God time to work in the John Marks in your life because their story isn't over yet either. Here's another lesson to remember as we live on mission. Remember that the message that you are sharing is good news that it is a word of salvation. In verse 14, after John Mark left, it says Paul and Barnabas kept on going. They completed that 100-mile difficult journey up to Antioch and Pisidia. And then pretty much like Paul does everywhere he goes, the first place he goes to is the synagogue where he knew there would be some Jewish people worshiping on that Sabbath day. And, and you can tell that this is a different culture than our culture, right? Because uh, they were first-time visitors at that synagogue that Saturday morning, right? I, I know we probably, I won't have you raise your hand, but we probably have some first-time visitors who are here. You're in our church for the very first time. Now imagine if what happened to Paul and Barnabas happened to you, right? Because the people who led this synagogue said, I see a couple of new people in the back. Why don't y'all come up and give the sermon today? Right? How many of y'all would have loved that if that's what happened to you? And you, you would have been running maybe for the exits, right? But that's, that's what happened to Paul and Barnabas. We don't know why that happened. Maybe their reputation had preceded them, that they were teachers. Maybe they had heard that Paul had studied under the famous Pharisee and Rabbi Gamaliel, and they wanted to hear what he had to say because of that. We don't know. But for whatever reason, Paul finds himself at the front with the mic in his hand, so to speak, And then starting in verse 16 and all the way down to verse 41, we can read right in front of us Paul's sermon. It's actually the longest recorded sermon that Paul preached in a synagogue that's recorded anywhere in the book of Acts. Uh, I wish we had more time today to look at every verse in this sermon in greater detail, but I do want us to get just the flow of what Paul is saying here. The sermon breaks down into three parts. Now first, in, in verses 17 to 23, he gives a quick rundown of the history of God's people, the history of Israel, and he talks about God's grace then, in the past, to his people. Starts out in verse 17, reminding them that God chose their fathers, that God chose Abraham, promised to make a great people from them. We'll see that again at the end of our passage today, salvation always starts with God's gracious choice. 
But of course, before too long, God's people find themselves in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. But God does not forget about them. He rescues them. He lifts them up and out of that place. He cares for them in the wilderness. It says in verse 19 that under Joshua, he drove out seven nations in order to give them the land. You remember all the ites, right? The Girgashites, the Amorites, the Hivites, all the ites, right? He drives them out. He gives the people the promised land that he promised to Abraham centuries before that. Then God gave them judges. And after the judges, because they asked for one, even though he told them it wasn't a good idea, he gave them a king. And we know from our study of First and Second Samuel the last few years that the first king that God gave them was King Saul, who started out well, but he didn't end so well. But after Saul came King David. And David was far from a perfect man, but just as Paul wrote here, he was a man after God's own heart. And basically, at that point, Paul skips the rest of the Old Testament, right? He, it's almost like he just can't wait to get to the main idea, the main figure in this story of grace. And so he skips all the way from King David to another king that was born in Bethlehem, King David's great, 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 great grandson, King Jesus. Look at verse 23. From this man's seed, from David's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. And with that, Paul transitions from talking about God's grace back then to talking about God's grace right now. And what God had just done in those very days when he sent his son Jesus. He starts out in verse 24 and 25 the same way that the Gospels do with the ministry of John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus to come. And then look at verse 26. I love this verse. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. To you the word of salvation has come. Friends, that's what the gospel is. It is good news. It is a word of salvation. It is a word, a message about how we as lost, broken sinners who have no hope of getting to heaven on our own, how we can be saved, how we can be forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did for us. Maybe you're here today and you haven't yet received that good news of God's grace into your life in a personal way. That's why you're here today, to hear that word of salvation, to receive that grace of God into your life. In the next few verses, Paul explains why we can receive that grace, why we can have that hope. It's not only because of the fact that Jesus came, it's also because of what Jesus did when he got here, that he died on the tree to pay for our sins. Paul explains how he was buried and how on the third day God raised him up from the dead. And that resurrection of Christ is a proof. It's an evidence. It's a verification that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that God always promised to send. And in verses 33 to 35, he starts to lay out in rapid fire scriptures from the Old Testament as evidences, as proof that Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies about who the Messiah was going to be so that we would recognize him when he got here. So Paul talks about God's grace back then. He talks about God's grace right now. And then in the third and final part of the sermon, he basically told them God's grace can be yours. Look at verses 38 and 39. 
He says, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So Paul said to the people who were sitting there in that synagogue that day that forgiveness of sins is preached to you. And of course, the same thing is true today for those who are sitting in this room, those who are watching online right now. Forgiveness of sins is being preached to you. And it's being preached to you through the very same one, the Lord Jesus Christ, that Paul was preaching about. And just like Paul said here, and and really this section reminds me of what Paul would later write in many of his letters to the churches, that we are justified before God, not because of anything we've done, not because we try super hard to keep the law of Moses and do everything just right, because none of us have ever been able to do that except Jesus. He says, you're not going to be saved that way. He says, no, the way that you'll be justified, the way that you'll be set free from sin is by receiving into your life the Lord Jesus, accepting his grace. And this is a message of good news for every single one of us today, that God's grace can be yours, God's grace can be mine, because of what Jesus has already accomplished at the cross. Here's the next lesson for us to make sure we understand from this story, that there is nobody that this good news isn't for. There is nobody that this good news isn't for. Now, we looked at Paul's sermon Uh, Let's take a minute and look at how people responded to his sermon. Look with me at verse 42, and we'll read down to the end of the chapter. It says, So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Verse 48, now when the Gentiles heard that, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So up in verse 42, we read that this service that day in the synagogue was finished. The people let out. And what we read is that some of them, particularly the Gentiles who were there that day, could not get enough. They're literally following Paul and Barnabas down the street, and they're begging to hear more about Jesus, begging that they'd come back the next Saturday, the next Sabbath day, and share with them Again, now this is like every preacher's dream, right? I mean, I've had people beg me not to preach as long, but I've never had somebody beg me to preach more, but that's what these folks were doing, right? We just want to hear more, and it's it's evidence that God was at work in, in their heart. It says in verse 43, some of the Jews and some of the Gentile proselytes followed Paul 
and Barnabas, what that really means is that they came to understand and accept the message about Jesus. And we know that that's what it means because of the next phrase. It says, Paul told them to continue in the grace of God. Now, if they were going to continue in the grace of God, it means that they had already found and experienced the grace of God in their life. And notice that it's both Jews and Gentiles who found grace that day. And we won't spend long here, but it's just another great reminder that this good news is not just for one kind of person. That this good news is for everybody. It's for Jews. It's for Gentiles. It's for people who've grown up in church all their life. It's for people who've never been to church a day in their life. It's for people who are white and black. It's for people who are poor, rich, doesn't matter. It's for people who are educated, uneducated. Now, this good news is for every single person. Aren't you glad that it is? Aren't you glad that no matter who you are, that no matter what your background is, that if you would turn to Jesus in faith, you can be forgiven. You can be saved, just like some did this very day that we're reading about when they heard this message from Paul. But if we're going to go out, if if we're going to live on mission like Paul did and share this message with everybody like Paul did, we need to file this lesson away as well. Friend, when you talk about Jesus, everybody isn't going to like it. Uh, You can see that definitely in this story. A a minute ago, uh, we were talking about how some of the people were begging for Paul and Barnabas to come back the next Sabbath day and preach again. And the next Sabbath day came. And in verse 44, it says that almost the whole city came together to hear it. Mostly Gentiles were there. This whole city comes. I mean, the place is busting at the seams. The parking lot is full, right? They're parking their donkeys down the street and walking a long distance, right, to get to the synagogue that day. You would think that the Jewish leaders would have been happy about that, right? They're breaking all kinds of attendance records at the synagogue. But they weren't happy about it. It says they were angry. They were jealous, Because they knew that the people were not coming to hear them. The people were coming to hear this outsider, Paul, and his message about this one Jesus of Nazareth. And these people who just the week before had extended such a warm welcome to Paul and invited him to preach. Now, they start acting like the guy that we met last week on the island of Cyprus, that magician Bar-Jesus. That's what these Jewish leaders begin to act like. They start opposing everything that Paul and Barnabas are saying and doing. Verse 46, Paul basically says, all right then, you know, we came to you first because it was the right thing to do. The gospel to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. But now you are rejecting this message. And I love the phrase that he uses there. He says, now you have judged yourself unworthy of everlasting life. In other words, Paul is saying, I didn't make this judgment about you. You're making this judgment about yourself because you've rejected Jesus. You've rejected the only way that salvation is even possible. And so obviously you're now regarding yourself as unworthy of eternal life. And because you've made that choice, now we're going to turn to the Gentiles whose hearts are more open to the word of God. And we're going to preach it to them. But the bottom line is everybody in town didn't love what Paul was saying. Some of them really didn't like it, and as we'll see in a minute, they didn't like it so much, they drove Paul and Barnabas clear out of town. The thing we need to understand, church, is that some people today, where we live, won't like it when we preach about Jesus either. There are some who would wish that we would stay quiet. There are some who would wish that we would not talk about spiritual things at all, that we would just keep that to ourselves. 
And increasingly in our nation, there are some people who will not like it also when we take a stand where the Bible stands, where Jesus stood, especially when it comes to controversial subjects like sexuality and gender. Even this week, all of this has been in the news as Congress has been considering this controversial bill called the Equality Act, which has little to nothing to do with equality and everything to do with lifting up invented sexual rights of expression over against religious freedom and religious convictions, particularly the convictions of those who would stand against the sexual revolution of our day. But church, listen, despite the direction that our culture is heading in and despite whatever opposition we may face in the future because of the message that we preach, nothing changes the mission that God has given us. The mission God has given us is to love our neighbors with all of our heart. The mission he's given us is to preach the truth, even when it's a truth that people do not want to hear. And that mission does not stop to keep on loving, to keep on sharing about Jesus. And when we do that, when we continue to take the good news, we can take heart because our sovereign God is still in control. And everywhere we go and everywhere we share, some will believe in Jesus. That's the fifth lesson I want us to take to heart today as we seek to live on mission. Everywhere you go. There will be some people that God has appointed to eternal life who will believe. That's what the scripture says. Now certainly, the Bible also affirms the human responsibility that we have as men and women to turn from sin, to believe in Christ. In fact, just a moment ago in verse 46, we were talking about how the Jewish leaders in the synagogue chose to reject the message of Christ. And because they did so, Paul said that they judge themselves unworthy of eternal life. But along with that teaching about man's responsibility, the Bible also clearly teaches that God is sovereign over our salvation from start to finish. And verse 48 is one of the clearest statements in the whole Bible about the sovereignty of God in salvation. Look at that with me again. It says, Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. Listen to this. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. As many as had been appointed. Now who appointed them? Well, clearly God did. Again, this is the clear teaching of the Bible, that if we who are dead in our trespasses and our sins are able to believe in Christ and be saved, it's because God has appointed us to eternal life and is at work in our hearts. Just a few chapters after this, when Paul goes to the city of Philippi, he's sharing with a woman there named Lydia, a seller of purple cloth. And this is what it says there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So she believed, and she believed because God opened her heart and enabled her to believe. It isn't just in Acts that we read this truth. Jesus himself proclaimed this truth in John chapter 6. He said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. That means that if you have come to faith in Christ, that even that, friends, we cannot take credit for. Even that is evidence of God's grace at work 
in our hearts. That is evidence he set his sovereign hand upon you and me. It is evidence that as it says here, he has appointed us to eternal life. And you know what? That truth should be a very humbling truth for us to take into our hearts. It should cause us to cry out to God and say, God, why me? Why why would you choose me and show your grace in that incredible way in my life? There are some who have said that if you believe very strongly in God's uh, sovereignty, that it'll cause you to not want to share the message of Jesus with uh, anybody. Really, I think that couldn't be farther from the truth. Obviously, that wasn't the case with Paul himself, who believed very strongly about the sovereignty of God and salvation. And yet here he is hiking over hills and mountains, traveling hundreds of miles by foot to take the good news of Jesus to these folks. He, he's going to hard to reach places, to hard to reach people, carrying that message of Christ. Uh, I would say that believing that just like here in Antioch, that some are appointed to eternal life gives us great confidence as we go forward in mission. To understand that right here in Melbourne today, God has appointed some to eternal life. And if we're just faithful to share, if we're just faithful to cast our seed, that some will believe. That God will work in their hearts. All we have to do, we don't have to figure it all out. We just need to share with everybody we meet. And then let God do what only God can do in the hearts of men and women and girls and boys. Very quickly, here's the last thing, the last lesson from this story I want us to take to heart. Friend, God does have a mission for you in your life. And if you would live on mission, the wake that your life will leave behind you will be people changed, people full of joy, and people full of the Holy Spirit. I said a minute ago that because of The opposition to what Paul was saying, they ended up kicking him out of town. You see that in verse 50? They just went on down the road to the next town, started telling people about Jesus there. And we'll pick up that part of the story next week. But but even here in this city of Antioch and Pisidia, this one city in the world, look at the wake that was left behind Paul and Barnabas just from their brief time in this city. It says in verse 49, the word of the Lord not only spread in that city, it spread through the whole region around that city. It says in verse 52, the disciples, these are the disciples that had just come to faith in Christ. The disciples were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So because Paul and Barnabas were just faithful and obedient to go and to share, regardless of the opposition that they faced, they left an incredible wake behind them. You know, when you're riding in a little John boat and you look behind you, you know, it leaves a little bit of a a wake. If you're riding in a much bigger boat, right, you look behind, it leaves a a bigger wake. In fact, it can leave such a big wake that if you're anchored beside them in a little boat, you can be rocking, right, as the the wake of that boat goes by. Well, what an incredible wake was left behind Paul and Barnabas. And and here's what I want to leave you with, church. Shouldn't that be our desire also? That everywhere we go, every place we live, every place we work, every school we attend, And certainly when we leave this world and our life is through, that we will leave a wake behind us. And the wake that we should want to leave behind us is the same wake as theirs. Lives change, disciples made, men and women and boys and girls who are full of the Spirit of God, who did not know God before, who had no hope, but now they are full of of joy because of the presence of the Lord in our lives because we had a chance. 
opportunity to introduce them to the Lord. That's what life on mission is all about. Church, we have a special opportunity to leave a wake like that this very week in the next seven days. Uh, Earlier in the service, Pastor Doug drew your attention to this card that is in uh, your bulletin. I want to ask you to take that card, if you would, and you'll see it's a very simple card. If you just flip that card over, you'll see it just has one statement there. It says, I'm praying for and going to invite, and it just leaves a blank for one name, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ at City Fest. There may be more than one person that's on your heart, but for the purpose of this card, what's that one name, that one person that first comes to your mind, somebody that you know that doesn't know the Lord? I'm going to ask you to write that name down on that card in front of you right now. Take a moment to do that and think about who it is. Maybe it's a neighbor of yours. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a family member that God has put on your heart that needs to know Christ that you know you could invite this weekend to come and to hear this message. I know that um, all we're able to do is invite. You know, we can't guarantee whether that person says yes or not to the invitation, right? We don't have that power. They may say no. They they may say, you know, because of COVID, I I can't do that in spite of the precautions that have been taken and and all that. But, you know, we can't control that. But what I want to ask you to do in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come and and bring that card and, and delay that card. You see several from the first service that are all across these steps at this altar. I'm going to ask you to come and just take a step of faith and come out of your seat and come up here to the front and, and lay this card with this name on it. And, and there's two things that you're kind of signifying by laying that card there. The first thing is just a commitment. Again, not a commitment for them to come because that's up to them, but, but a commitment that you're going to invite. That you're going to say, I, I'm going and I'd love for you to come with me on Saturday or on Sunday, whenever it may be. And then the second thing you're doing by laying that card on the altar, it's not just a commitment, it's also a prayer. As you lay that card on the altar, you're saying, God, I I lift this person up to you. This is someone I love. This is someone I am broken about. This is someone I've been praying for. This is someone I am praying this weekend, if it be your will, would come to know you. I I know you're the only one who can open their hearts. And so, God, I'm I'm lifting their name to you right now. So I want to ask you to stand with me, if you would. If you need to receive Christ as as your own personal Savior right now, come and share that with me. I'll be standing here. Other pastors are here. We'd love to talk with you right now about that. But for everybody else, as soon as Pastor David begins to to play and to sing, I just want to ask you to come. Bring your card. Lay it here as a prayer before God together. You come as we sing. 